Good morning. Soon to be afternoon. Uh, a few minutes away from noon here. Uh, grateful to be in God's house. Grateful for everybody coming out and uh, braving this rainy, gloomy kind of fall day. But it comes with its territory. And we are in our revision series. This is week number four of our revision series. And we're going to be speaking again today uh, about revision and how God wants to uh, redline our life. And he wants us to give him access uh, to all the parts of our life to where that we allow him uh, to encourage us, to equip us for change, and to uh, prod us along life's journey to become the people he intended for us to be from the beginning. So we've talked about uh, different parts of changing uh, our person, who we are. Uh, from week one, we talked about uh, having a changed heart and how that the heart, out of the heart uh, flows all the issues of life. And it, the scripture also teaches that the heart is more deceitful than anything else, that our heart deceives us. And we need to have a changed heart uh, in order to become more like God. Week two, we talked about having a changed mind and... Uh, how that uh, Elijah, the prophet, uh, needed to have a changed mind because he was uh, had some stinking thinking going on. And then uh, in that, um, God changed his mind. And then last week for Back to Church Sunday, we're so grateful for Back to Church Sunday and all the things it brought about. Uh, multiple people uh, came and attended for the first time in a long time. Uh, some of them first time in a long time. So we're grateful for all that, and we received a message about having a changed perception, and God wants us to change our perception. So a changed heart, everybody say a changed heart, pat your heart, changed heart, we need to have a changed mind, and changed perception, what we see things to be. So today we're going to talk about change direction, uh, change in our direction, and we're going to take our scripture or our text today. Uh, from 1 Kings 19, starting at verse 5, and we're going to read through a few verses. But i got this little story uh, off the internet that kindly uh, talks to us about uh, having this changed direction that God wants us to have. It's a story about Stonewall Jackson, uh, his famous uh, valley campaign. Jackson's army found itself on one side of a river, and it needed to be on the other side. After telling his engineers to plan and build bridges so the army could cross, uh, he called his wagon master in to tell him that it was urgent that the wagon train cross the river as soon as possible. The wagon master started gathering all the logs, rocks, fence, rails, anything he could find, and build a bridge. Long before daylight, General Jackson was told by his wagon master all the wagons and artil artillery had crossed the river. General Jackson asked, where are the engineers, and what are they doing? The wagon master, only his only reply was that the engineers were in the tent drawing up plans for a bridge. So you can see that it's one thing to talk about an item or talk about change or think about change or have change uh, detailed in your heart or even have a perception of change, but actually until you gather up the rails, the rocks, 
and everything you need to build the bridge and actually put the work in building the bridge, the only change that's happened has been internal. But God wants our change to be external as well. Amen? So that it's not just that, and I'm not saying that he don't want to clean you up on the inside, because he does. He wants to change your heart. He wants to change your mind. He wants to change your perception. But in the end, he wants you to change your direction. So let's read 1 Kings chapter 19, starting at verse 5. 1 Kings 19, verse 5. It said, Then he lay and slept under a broom tree. Sounds like a good day to me, don't that to you? Just lay and sleep under a broom tree? That sounds pretty awesome. Done that this weekend. We went camping, and I done a lot of resting. A little hen downstairs, he, he called me a party pooper because I just laid on the couch, and he was outside running and playing bouncy ball and everything else, and I was in there just chilled out. It's pretty awesome. And it says, Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head laid a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again, and the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. Look at your neighbor and say, the journey is too great for you. That wasn't very encouraging. I want you to tell them, like they got a long journey ahead, and it's going to be great, and it's going to be impossible for them. Look at them and say, the journey's too great for you. That doesn't sound like much enthusiasm yet. I need you to go one more time, just a little bit deeper voice. Try to sing in your dusty voice right now and say, the journey is too great for you. Oh, that sounded a lot better. That was, uh, that was encouraging all the way around. So he arose, and he ate, and he drank, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Imagine a meal lasting you that long. One meal, 40 days, 40 nights. That would be heavenly food, wouldn't it? And there he went into a cave, and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I've been zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out into the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore through the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. And the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, the earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, still, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in a mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave, and suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, because the children of Israel forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go return your way of the wilderness to Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazel as king of Syria. So I want us to take this account of Elijah the prophet that we know that we've talked about so far, that Elijah prayed for a drought, right? That originally we talked about that Elijah prayed for a drought. He wanted it not to rain in Israel for three and a half years, and a drought is not a good thing. 
So basically, in our terms, because in their life, in their culture, and where they lived, everything they did uh, revolved around the harvest. So you have to have, in Israel, they've got feasts and everything. Their holidays are based around the harvest. So here they're looking for these harvests to come. And Elijah, their prophet, is praying for no rain. Has anybody ever tried to go a garden? Have you ever tried to go a garden with no rain? You better have a water hose, right? You better be able to water it. You better be able to do something with that. So here, Elijah is there. He's praying. He's seeking God. And the rain didn't come for three and a half years. That's a long time. So what I want to ask you is, since we learned that lesson back in week one, how many of us have prayed for our bank account to go to zero for three and a half years? Anybody been praying that prayer? I, I would love for my bank account to be at zero and no money coming in, no food, Walmart shutting the doors, you know, just everything we know that we eat and all this, that's, heaven forbid that the shortstop would close. Well, that would be kind of the prayer we'd be praying, that I don't want nothing else to eat. That'd be bad, right? So uh, Elijah prayed this prayer. We don't pray those kind of prayers. But whenever we pray those kind of prayers, it should change us. Should change everything about us. So as Elijah prayed that prayer had happened. Three and a half years, no rain. That would be hard times. All the nation receiving that hard time. But then he goes on and he don't just pray for it not to rain. Then he comes back and he prays that a fire would come. Okay, in the middle of a drought like California's been going through for years, all of a sudden you've got this prophet that prayed that it wouldn't rain. Everybody don't like him already. Then he gets up on top of a mountain and he said, okay, I'm praying for fire to come from heaven. How crazy can you be? To pray for fire during a drought. He's kind of like off his rocker, right? There's something wrong here. And Elijah prays the prayer and the fire comes and it burns up the altar. And we talked about all that. Then the next thing you know, he's, he's there and he kneels down and he begins to pray and he prays for rain. And guess what? It rains. He's on a winning path in life, right? And then all of a sudden, uh, we, we talked about the next week, that he, he took off down into, uh, off the hill. And as he's running off the hill... 15 miles, he beats the chariot, he beats the horse. After a four, three and a half year uh, famine in the land, here he comes during this drought and he runs off and he beats the horse and he gets down there and when he gets there, he tells the, the uh, queen and king what's going on. The queen and king looks and says what? You gonna be the queen? Is he going to be the king? He looks like a king's hat on, so we just let him be the king today. <laughs> I like the hat. It's pretty cool. So he's the king. So as we do that, think about this, that as a queen happens, is there, the king is in charge, but the queen starts telling him what to do. Guess what the queen says? Kill that prophet. I don't like him. Why? He's prayed that it wouldn't rain. He prayed for fire to come from God, and it came. My God didn't show up. His did. I'm bad, right? So as this happens, he's praying, and now she's mad at him, and this guy that had called fire down, that prayed it wouldn't rain, and prayed it would rain, and all of it happened, he stands before this queen, gets scared, and takes off running. This is where our story ends, right? We ended last week that he was sitting there praying that he would die. And imagine that. The prophet of God, the one with the promises of God, praying to die because he's scared of a human. 
How many of us pray those type of prayers because we're afraid of situations in our life? So as this happens, and we begin our story, that Elijah's there, and, and he's, he's laying there asleep under this broom tree, that he's laying there asleep, and somehow an angel came and prepared cakes and laid a jar of water there. Amen. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? And he tells him, arise and eat. You've got a big journey ahead of you, boy. What if God provided for you ahead of time, amen, in your life, prior to the journey that you're getting ready to take? What if God knew your future already and he's planning right now? What if he's preparing you even in this moment? What if he brought you here today just to hear this sermon? So today as this happens, we're praying for a new direction. We're kind of like Stonewall Jackson and we want to get some stuff done, but we don't really get anything done. So Elijah eats the bread and the next thing you know, he wakes up and he goes back to sleep again. And the angel wakes him up. Wake up again. You need to eat. You got a long journey. And then he goes on a 40-day walk. After one meal, went on a 40-day walk. Imagine going to Jimmy John's and telling him, you know what? Just leave the meat in the counter. Don't need no vegetables. Don't need any of that. Just give me a big chunk of bread. Yeah, and some water. That'd be awesome. A big drink of water. I think people's crazy to drink water with their meal, but that's just me. I know all you guys are saving money, and I know y'all you on the health fanatics and all that stuff, but I don't eat, I don't drink no milk with my meal. I'm going to drink pop or tea or something, right? But here, this is God's gift to him. Here's you some bread. Here's you some water. Yuck. But you got a big journey ahead of you, so I'll just give you a little bit of bread here and some water. Kind of sound like a prison, don't it? So here, he's got this water, he wakes up and he eats it the second time, and then he takes off on this journey. Forty days walking into the wilderness. How many feels like that's your life, walking into the wilderness? You know what the wilderness is, don't you? It's where you go that you don't know where you're going, but you're still going. It's where you just keep walking, even though you have no destination. You just figure out, I'm still going to walk, oh, why? i still got some power, i still got some energy, my bread's still lasting, I'm going to keep walking. It's kind of that way in our life. That life is like a journey that we just keep going, even though we really don't even know where we're going. But God has a direction and purpose for your life. So Elijah gets to Mount Horeb, which is the mountain of God. How many would like to go there? Amen. Get to the place where you can meet God face to face. That you can hear his voice in a way that you've never heard before. And this is the prophet of God that's been speaking on behalf of God now comes to a place where that he's going to hear the voice of God. Imagine what it would be like for God to speak and you being able to hear. Done miracles. Called for fire, called for a drought, called for rain. All of it had happened. But now I'm fixing to hear the voice of God. But I love it in this story that as he gets there and God speaks to him. So he's, it wasn't in the rain. It, it wasn't in the storm, the, the, the storm that come. It wasn't in the uh, earthquake. It wasn't in any of these issues that had happened where that his life that he saw God. The fire came again. He didn't see God in that. And it says that he heard God in a still, small voice. Can you hear God in a still, small voice? Don't look for him in the thunder. 
Don't look for him in the lightning. Don't look for him in the cloud. Look for him in the still, small voice. It's that internal voice that will speak, and you know it's God. It's one that you can't question. Oh, I think I heard God, or I feel like God said, or any of that. It's where God actually speaks, and it rumbles on the inside of you, and you say, wow, God spoke to me. He didn't speak to pastor to speak to me. God spoke to me. So as this happens, Elijah's there and he's kind of taken back by it because God speaks and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's kind of scary, right? When God speaks, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He didn't say, Elijah, I told you to be here. He didn't say, Elijah, I'll give you directions to get here. He said, what are you doing here? It's kind of amazing, right? God's speaking and he's saying, what are you doing here? See, because I, I grew up in church and I grew up in religion and I grew up understanding that God knew all things and there wasn't anything outside of God's power or anything outside of God's realm that he couldn't meet me where I'm at. And all of a sudden, God's asking a question. He probably already knows the answer. He's omniscient, right? He's omniscience, which means God is all-knowing. That's what the term means. So God is all-knowing, but he's asking Elijah, what are you doing here? So Elijah's like, whoa, man. Well, there's these people out here, God. They're called the children of Israel, and they're, they're out here, and, and they're, they're killing your prophets, and, and they're, they're going against your commands, and they're doing whatever they want to do. And he, he tells him, you know, God, this is what they're doing. And God looks up, and you know, God's like, yeah, mm-hmm, I didn't know that. Uh, thanks for telling me, Elijah. Glad you're aware of, that, of what everybody else is doing. Isn't that just like us as Christians? When God asks us, what are you doing? Amen. Well, I can tell him what Amy's been doing. She's all over do terror, all over this, all over that. Jason's out there buying cars and fixing them and working on a Mustang. And I, I know what everybody else is doing. That's what Elijah did. He told God, this is what everybody else is doing, God. Don't, don't pay no attention to me. Why are you asking me what I'm doing when I, I'm worried about everybody else, God? All of Israel's giving up on you. I'm the only one left, God. Guess what the second time God says the second time? Hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? Isn't it amazing how that God is so much like you parents? Come on, parents. You tell them once, don't you? Do they hear you? Nope. When are you telling them the second time? Do they hear you, Tanya? Nope. That's why our Heavenly Father does us. He's looking down. He tells Elijah the first time, What are you doing, Elijah? Well, God, there's this children of Israel, and they're out here doing this, and they're doing that, and they're tearing down, and they've got these altars built, and they're bound to Balaam, and all this different stuff, and all this is going on. And, and all of a sudden, God looks the second time, and he's like, I already know that. But Elijah, what are you doing? It's just like God to have to repeat himself to us, just like we have to repeat ourselves to our kids. I'm glad I don't have kids because I don't have to do that. Amen. But God spoke the second time, and he told him, what are you doing? Elijah tells him the same exact thing again. Well, God, these children of Israel, they're doing this. They're doing that. This is going on in their nation. They're breaking down, and they're, they're tearing down the altars of God, and they're doing this, and they're doing that. What all them, he's pointing fingers everywhere else, just like we do. 
You see, because it's easy to point out everybody else's sin. Amen? It's easy for us to point to everybody else and say, look, God, look what they're doing. Because it's just like that in real life. It's just like that with both your kids. Whenever one boy does something wrong, Tanya, and you come up to him and you start questioning about what he just did, well, didn't you see what Bobby did? His room's a mess. Rachel tried to outsmart him. They just got one kid, so they ain't got that problem. It's just one. Braden done it wrong. He's, it's all on him, man. He can't blame it on anybody else. Might blame it on Grandma or something, Pap or somebody. But that's the way we are. We try to cast blame because we don't like any focus on our life. And God is trying in this message series called Revision to bring focus on your individual walk with him. I want a changed heart. I want a changed mind. I want changed perception. But more than anything, I want a change in direction. Can somebody say amen? I want a changed direction because I'm sick of being me. Can anybody say amen? I'm sick of being who I am. I want God to change the direction my life is going because the direction I've been going in, I've been going through a wilderness. Is that not what Elijah went through? It's what we went through. It's symbolic of our life. And you get to this place, the mountain of God, where that he speaks to you. And guess what, God? If God speaks to Elijah and says, what are you doing, Elijah? Guess what he's going to speak in this room today? What are you doing, Jason? What are you doing, Ernie? What are you doing, Rachel? Sammy, what's up, man? That's what God's saying. What are you doing? He's not saying, why are you here? He said, what are you doing? If you want a change in direction in your life, you need to be able to give an account to God of what you're doing. And here's why I say that. Because we're going into a missions conference next month. Dusty announced it a while ago. We're grateful that uh, 26th, 27th, 28th, we're going to be having a missions conference. Missionaries are going to be coming. I'm going to try to do some other stuff. There's people from Hope Homes coming. The girl from Portsmouth is coming. We're going to have all kinds of people. Uh, it's going to have somewhat of a drug rehab type theme, but there's going to be all kinds of mission stuff going on too. And it's going to be awesome. I, I'm really grateful for it. And we've been doing this for years. Ever since me and Leslie came as pastors of Bethesda, we've done a missions conference every year. It's nothing new. It's something else we're doing. And we continue to do it. And we love it every year. And we're encouraged by it. We're strengthened by it. But each year, by the time they come back, it's usually to the point of where that we've got in that mindset and that mode of life that life has returned to normal. And we go back into a missions convention hoping that missions convention is going to change me today a little bit so that I can make it another year. But what if this year would be different? What if God would design a revision uh, sermon series for us so that we would be prepared and ready and anxious and on fire for God when the mission convention happens so that we could send the missionaries back encouraged, strengthened, and everything they need, amen, rather than them pouring into our lives that we're pouring into them. What if we would have 150 people saved by this time next month when the missionaries come here and we're in the midst of a revival and the missionaries are blown away that God is working in America? Everybody say, that'd be a change in direction. 
Amen. That would, that would be a change altogether. It'd be a whole different world that we'd be living in. And it's not about numbers. It's about health. And I want us to be a healthy church as Bethesda. Amen. Where that God can speak to us. That we're in that moment where we're not looking at it for in the earthquake or in, in the wind or in the fire. We're going to be listening for a still small voice. Little bitty baby steps where that God can speak and say deal with that and we'll deal with it. So Elijah's here on this mountain, he hears it. And the second time God says it, he says the same thing back. It's the same response. Don't you love it when your kids give you the same response the second time? Isn't it awesome? You'd be like, man, I was glad you did that. High five, bub. Yeah, woohoo. Glad you didn't recognize anything in it. I'm trying to teach you a lesson. Wouldn't you love it, Ruby, to have to go back in every day of school and teach the same lesson all hundred and whatever days you got to teach? Wouldn't that be awesome? Be like every day. Go and teach the same exact lesson. Nobody do anything different. Everybody act the same, with the same amount of knowledge, everything. You have to teach the same lesson every day. Kind of like be like at the movies, the Groundhog Day or where they get up and that boy and that girl's in love every day and all that stuff. I don't know, just sappy. I know you guys like that stuff, but whatever. So God is saying to us today, what are you doing? And I love it when people do things differently. That they've got the willpower and the fortitude to do something differently. Because a revision is where something gets changed, right? So if we're saying God can change you, that you'll actually change something. So this this uh, past few weeks, we had a hoco here in Lewis County. Everybody know what that is? Had a hoco used to be called homecoming. We could actually pronounce things, but now all of a sudden it's got this new flashy term hoco. I don't even yeah whatever. Just run on down to hoco. Aruba, Jamaica. Ooh, I want to. No. So this hoco thing, and there's one of the kids that attends Bethesda, uh, Kirby. And uh, she's in youth group, and she leads. She's one of student leaders and all this stuff. And, and her, with Dusty and Albie and all of them, and, and they, they teach her to be herself, to not have to bow to peer pressure and, and do all this stuff, you know. And I'm grateful that we got a youth group that does that. Amen? That teaches kids they can be their self. You don't have to put on a show. You don't have to have a special face for church. You can come in broken. You can come in busted. You can come in disgusted. Amen? You can come as you are. So as they're teaching them this, that Kirby gets up the willpower to say, you know what? Who made the rule that girls has to wear a dress? She says, you know what? I think I'll just challenge the system. And can you imagine this little teenage teeny bopper walking into a Hoko dress company and saying, I'm going to go to Hoko and uh, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want that. And they're going through the whole store and be like, no, got this, got that, got this. You know, Hoko, this kind of Hoko dress. I don't want that. I want some pants. If you was a girl, how many would rather wear pants? Most all of them, right? So she braved the system and said, you know what, I'd just soon have pants. Or my grandpa used to call them britches. Right? Too big for your britches, nobody ever heard that. Maybe I'm the only one. But as she did, and she got her outfit, and she looked nice, and she was presentable, and she went to Hoko, and she challenged the system, and it was change. But how many knows people don't like change? 
Amen? We don't like change very much. Because when somebody, you don't even like your pastor talking about change. You're sitting there thinking right now, I wish you'd get off this change topic. I just want to be me. Well, glory to God, I do too. But I don't come up with the sermons God does. And he's telling us he wants us to have a little bit of change. And I'm talking, he, he, just a little bit, a little dab will do you with God. Amen? Just a little bit of change. He'll be tickled to death because most people don't change at all. So God is telling Elijah, what are you doing, Elijah? Not why are you here. What are you doing? You see, because the engineers were tucked away in their little headquarters there for General Jackson, and they were plotting and planning and drawing and scheming and coming up with all this stuff. Brandon, you've seen them. They had blueprints. They got this big design, and all this stuff is ready and prepared and planning, and all this stuff goes on. But until the piece of pipe ever touches, it doesn't matter. The blueprint is nothing more than paper. See, Ruby can go home and plan her schedule and plan her week and plan all the lesson plans she wants, but if she never gets up in front of kids and speaks and makes it clearly and known, nothing ever really got done. So God's telling us today, what are you doing? So what he's challenging is your actions. Everybody say, that's scary. You mean when I get up before God, you know, and someday I'm going to die or, or the rapture is going to happen one or the other and one way or another we're going to all stand before God. The Bible says we're all going to give account, every individual one. The great white throne judgment, we're going to be there and we're going to give account for every idle word and deed that we've done in this life. And standing before God, we're going to stand there and he's going to say, Hey, Ben, what are you doing? What'd you do? And I'm going to say, but didn't you see Amy over there may not waste all that time on Duterte and she thought all that essential oils was going to change her life and it's okay. I, it's all good. Anybody want some? Just, you want hooked up right there? She'll hook you up. But we can get it right. We try to point fingers every way we can to get the attention off us when we're standing before God. But he's going to say, I'm not talking about all them right now. This is between me and you. That's trouble time. That's the time when I, oh man, I'm going to have to give an account for every idle word. I don't know about you, but I talk too much. Anybody say amen? I talk too much. You know what I'm saying? It means when you talk and wish you could get a word back because you said it before you thought. That's, that's saying you talk too much. It doesn't matter. They say women spend, what, 3,500 words a day and men do 1,800 or something like that. It's, it's like half. But even 1,800 is too much. And some people do more than 3,500. Right? But God is saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm thankful to have people in a youth group like Kirby that say, you know what? I want to be me. And I don't want to have to fit in with the Joneses. I don't want to have to keep up. I want to have my relationship with God and be okay with that and let the world go whatever way it wants to go because between me and him, it's okay. And I'm not saying we just do away with people and completely isolate ourselves, go hide in a closet somewhere and be that type of Christian. We're to be in the world, amen? We're not to be of it. 
That's what scripture tells us. So this is a vertical relationship. This is you with God. Guess what? This is horizontal. This is between me and you. I got to know how to treat people. I can say I love God all I want and then treat people like crap. Guess what? It's going to hurt my vertical with God. You know why? Because God cares about them too. So we've got to be careful. I'm not telling you to abandon your friends. I'm not telling you to completely do away with everybody you know and your family and run off and do your own little thing and just make it about you and God. End of the day, it all really matters. But while you're here, you better keep some peace here. Amen? Because in that makes that right there. That's what the symbol is for. It's your relationship with God and your relationship with humanity. That's why our mission is to love God and love people. You have to have both. It's a balance. But God asking Elijah, what are you doing? And I'm just wondering, is he whispering to anybody's ear in this place today, asking you, because now your pastor's preaching about this sermon series, and he's talking about changing your direction, and is God whispering to anybody in this room saying, what are you doing? Mr. Whitten, what are you doing? Wow, if that's God's voice, what am I going to do in that instant? We're be like Elijah. Start praying. You know why? Because prayer changes things. Maybe you hit that spot in your life where you're tired of traveling in the wilderness. You're tired of the direction you're going. You're tired of the pain and the suffering that you've been dealing with. And you've come to this spot. And today, in this service today, you're sitting here. And this is the mountain of God experience, just like it was for Elijah. It is that for you. And here you sit today, and you're hearing this preacher preach. And you're hearing the word of God spoke to your heart. And it's a light on the inside of you that's starting to glow. And you're saying, wow, God's speaking to me. Yeah, what are you doing? What are you doing? If you can't give a definitive answer about what your purpose in life is in the kingdom of God, you've got misplaced priorities. Amen? And it goes along with me. I want our missions conference to be more than it's ever been. I want to be fixed before missionaries get here. Why? Because I want them to leave more encouraged than they've ever been. What are you doing? There's different verses in Scripture that talks about doing. I just want to read a few of them. James chapter 4, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I'm going to read that to you again. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So if you know to do the right thing and God has spoken to you and tells you what to do, Elijah, you better be doing it. Right? Because now, if I don't do it, it's going to be sin. Because it's going to be easy in this moment where, the, well, what's everybody else's sin? Well, you know what's happening with that family over there? I can't believe that they're going through them kind of issues. Have, have you seen what was on WSA's East News? And we, we've got all these other things where we want to point fingers everywhere else. When God is saying, what are you doing? I'm not worried about them right now. I'm worried about you. I'm asking you. And you've got to allow me to deal with them because it's not your job. So God is speaking today and saying this. So when we know to do it and we don't, it's sin. Everybody here say, I don't want to be a sinner. Amen. We don't want to be sinners. Why? Because sinners are separated from God. The wages of sin is death. If you say, I want to be a sinner, what you're saying is, I want to die. And God don't want you to die. God wants you to live. 
Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So here we see this, that it's sin if we don't do it when he tells us. James 2.26 says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And James is telling Paul basically here, okay, you're talking about your faith and your justification in God. And yes, you do receive that at salvation. Whenever you accept the blood of Jesus on that cross to cover your sins, you are absolutely bought by the blood of Jesus and you are free from sin. That is true. But after that, then what? Everybody say that. Then what? The then what is this. God wants to sanctify you. Sanctification is a setting apart, a cleansing process, a lifelong cleansing process that he wants to continue for you to grow in him, in the knowledge of him. And I thank God for Dusty going to do a Bible study with the men of the church that we're going to come together and we're going to talk about some issues going on in life. Because sometimes you're not going to stand up in the middle here. There's nobody going to get up today and jump up now and say, Woo! Glory to God, Pastor. I run out this weekend and I end up in Huntington and I ended up in a bar and I drunk too many and next thing you know I was over in a strip joint and Woo! Yeah, it was a good time. Nobody's going to do that. Why? Because we're embarrassed. But you get in a small group of people that you know loves you and cherishes you and will pray for you and help you and give you scriptures, sometimes you can open up. The Bible says cast not your pearl before the swine. Don't cast it before everybody. Amen? But the Bible says that confession is good for the soul. The Bible says confess your sins one to another. We are to have accountability partners to ask you, how you doing? So that we can grow in God. But here it is. James is telling us faith without works is dead. Hebrews 10, 24, I love this one. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's what those connection groups are for. That's what Sunday services are for. So that we stir each other up. I hope and pray that you don't come in, in each Sunday and walk out and be like, man, that was the most dreary, dead, dried up place and I don't know why I went. And I hope that we encourage you in some way, shape, or form. I love the upbeat music. I love the praise and worship. I love hearing people sing behind me. I love hearing the, the enthusiasm that Dusty has when he talks about the uh, upcoming events. I love it when we're encouraged. Amen? And God wants us to be that. And he tells us there in Hebrews, stir each other up Amen. to good works. Because works means deeds. General Jackson had his artillery on the other side of the river, not because somebody drew a plan, but because somebody moved sticks. Because somebody moved stones. God wants some action in the body. He wants us to be moving and doing things. Titus 2.7 says this, Show yourself in all respects. Be a model of good works. And in teaching, slow in teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may not be put to shame, having nothing evil to say of us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Parents, don't you love when your kids argue back? Don't you, don't you love that mama? Mama hen? When you go home and Alex's going to do what she wants to do. Brandon's going to do what he wants to do. Big brothers, you know, not corrupting the little ones and yeah, all that. Yeah. You're a big brother? 
That means you got responsibility, dude. Yep. They're looking up to you. It's rough stuff, ain't it? Yeah, he's, he's listening in the moment. Here, look at me. Here's what God's saying. What are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> but it tells us here to not be argumentative. Don't talk back. Yakety yak. They don't even know, Greg. They don't know what I'm talking about. You had to listen to Colonel Brown to get that one. It's way far back. So, God says, show yourself in good works, and slaves are be to their masters to be good uh, uh, slaves to their masters and not be argumentative. You know what we are? How many believes that slaves is in the Bible? That there should be slaves, it says in the Bible. We just read it. But the slaves is you, and who's your master? God. We're his slave. So we gave over, whenever we give our life to Jesus, that's saying, God, I no longer want to control my life. I want you to help me in this journey that I'm on. And God wants to. And when we do that, we become his slave. It's called a, 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 a servant and a, and, and a slave. That's who we are. That We're a, a, a good servant to God. And as we become that good servant, it's where we allow God to make choices that we don't want to make. How many's ever had God to tell you to do something you didn't want to do? Last weekend, Ernie wanted to go home and sit on the couch after Sunday service up here. He'd already been to two services. But guess what? God said, I need you to go talk to Sister Joanne because she hasn't been to church in three weeks and she needs somebody to come to her house and have a Bible study with her and maybe share a meal with her because she can't even get to the store to get her food. And won't you go gather that up and take down there to her? So when God tells you that, what do you want to say? Well, God, I don't like that. And what about this? And why don't she get up out of bed? And why don't she quit being lazy? And why don't, you know, she just got a heart problems, all this other stuff. Just make her do it, God. We argumentative back towards God. And God's saying that's not who we're supposed to be. Amen? Good deeds is whenever God says, go talk to Sister Joanne, go speak to Sister Joanne, go to Sister Joanne's house, that's where you get up and you get out of church to the second service and you go down to food land and you pick up some food and you go down a couple more blocks and you turn up her holler and you pull in her driveway and you get out of your car and you walk in and you sit with her for a while. How many knows the world would be a better place if we would listen to God? Amen? We would make other people's lives better by being obedient to God. And God is asking us to change, not because he just wants us to change. He wants us to change for the world to be a better place. Because the condition we're in, we're leaving, we're leaving a wake behind us, but it's a wake of pain. Amen? It's true that hurting people hurt people. Amen? Hurting people hurt people. And sometimes we can judge somebody because they did this or did that, but how do you know what happened to them? Don't we say all the time until you walk a mile in somebody's shoes, don't judge them? Why do we automatically jump on the judgment bandwagon just because everybody else is doing it? Back up for a minute and say, no, I don't understand. It don't make any sense to me, but God, I'm going to pray for my enemies like you told me to. I'm going to pray for those that abuse you. Pray for those that, that misuse you, that mistrust you. Pray for those that are against you in every way, shape, or form. You know why? Because it's a godly thing to do. It's a biblical thing to do. And that's hard. It's not easy to do that. But God's telling us today, do that. So, look at your neighbor and say, quit arguing with God.
Now, some of you didn't, some of you didn't look them in the eye. You, this is one of those eyeball-to-eyeball moments. You've got to tell them where they're looking. You've got to look right at them in the eye. Quit arguing with God. That's hard. But here, God is speaking to us. So I, Matthew chapter 7, this is the last one. We're done. Last one right here. It's 1231. We're all good. We're going to make it. To, it's going to be awesome. We're, we're getting ready to get out of here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's what... Elijah had done. He was a prophet of God. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And did not do many miracle or mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Or the King James says iniquity. It's sad, isn't it? It bothers us when we think, well, Pastor, you saying I can attend church service every Sunday and never miss one, and, and I can be the, just a little goody-two-shoes, godly uh, whoever I am, and, and everything's good in my life, and put on a front my whole life, and then get up to heaven someday and stand before God, and Him's going to say, hey, what are you doing? It's exactly what I'm saying. And it will probably dumbfound a lot of people to get to heaven and see Child molesters make it. And super spiritual saints be going to the lake of fire. You know why? Because it isn't about who you say you are. It's not even about what other people say you are. It's about what's your answer when God says, what are you doing? Simple and easy. What are you doing? And what I'm saying in saying that today is, what are you doing for the kingdom of God? What are you doing to advance the kingdom of God? How many people know Jesus because you know him? And that's scary. But that's a true missionary. It's somebody that wants to, hey man, Jesus wrecked my life. Amen. He tore my world upside down. And if you don't have a story to tell when somebody asks you, man, what did Jesus do for you, Brandon? What was it like when you met him? And you don't have to know the whole Bible and quote every scripture. All you got to say is when I met Jesus, my heart was bursted and it was broken and I was hurting. And the master of the universe reached down and he touched me. And from that moment forward, I've been walking my walk and trying to be who I can be in Him. And I try to do all I can for Him. That's what Jesus will say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. That's what we all want to hear. And God is asking us today in His place, What are you doing? What are you doing? And the reason being, because probably because you guys are like me. I'm not doing enough. Can anybody say amen? I do a lot, but I don't do enough. I know it. When these messages talk to me, it's a point in my life where that I know I need to do more. Won't you stand?
one way that I want us to think about this service today, that Elijah the prophet, when he was standing on that mountain of God, and God's speaking to him and trying to point fingers and everything else, and eventually God gets his, 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 his attention. He says, what are you doing, Elijah? Elijah's like, oh, no. I don't know the answer. I can tell you what everybody else is not doing. I'll tell you what all them's doing. But I can't tell you, God, what I'm doing. And in that moment, in that instance, it says that God spoke to Elijah and said, go back the direction you came and go to Damascus. That's amazing to me because in the New Testament there was another guy heading on a road to Damascus that was going to kill Christians and halfway down the road he met a man named Jesus and Jesus wrecked his cart and he said, it's a new day, Paul. Same thing he did for Elijah. But guess what he told Elijah? He said, go back the way you came. And what I want to tell you about that today is this. Is it by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Doesn't make your life better. Amen. It gives you eternal security that you're going to heaven. But here on this earth, the Bible says that these days are, are, are full of trouble. They're full of troubles. How many's had troubles? How many's ever had your heart broke? Like it was tore out of your chest and pain that you didn't, it's just like unbearable. I couldn't contain it. And I wanted to tear walls down. I remember when my grandpa died, it was like I was in the hospital, I was praying for him, and next thing you know, they come down, they said he's no longer with us, and it's like I could have tore the building down. I felt like heart broke. And I don't like that kind of stuff. But I'm here to tell you today, whenever you accept Jesus as your Savior, he's going to tell you to go right back the direction you came because when you repent, you, re you take a 180 and go back the other way, right? You're going to go right back through the same mess you just came through. But it's going to be different this time because Jesus is going to be with you. In the Old Testament, you were the one pulling the plow. How many felt like that's life with you? feels like you've had a yoke around your shoulders that you've been harnessed up and you're the one dragging the plow of life and it feels like it's been a burden all along. The Bible says give your cares to Jesus because he cares for you. That's where you're at on Mount Horeb today and you come up here and you stand here and you'll say, but, but pastor, I, I, you don't know what I'll face. You don't know what I've come through. You don't know the pain that I've been dealt. And Jesus is saying, but I'm here to take that from you. And he takes that yoke off of your shoulders, places it on his, and he heads right back through the same direction you just came from. But now he's the one pulling the plow. The New Testament says if you put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're looking back to sin. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want to ask a very simple question. Maybe God is speaking to you in this place today. And he's asking you, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And that voice is ringing in your heart. And you're standing here and you're saying, man, I want to leave different than I came. I'm ready to lay off my burdens. I'm ready to quit worrying about everything going on in my life. I'm ready to walk in a new direction. And God, even if you take me back through the same hell, if you're with me, I want that. I want that path. 
I want you to carry my burdens. I want peace. I want your grace. I want your mercy. Is there anybody here that lift your hand and say, Pastor Ben, you're talking to me. And I want to leave here different than I came. Is anybody here? Amen. Thank you for those hands. You're going to leave your burdens in this room today and you're going to walk out of here with a new lease on life. And Jesus is going to pull the plow. And you're going to notice the difference when you walk out of this place today. You're going to say, Pastor, wow, I feel free. I feel like I'm walking on cloud nine. Why? Because God is pulling my plow. My burden is too much and I can't carry it anymore. I'm tired. and I need God's help. I'm walking out of here changed today. Amen. Thank you for all those hands. I want to pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And Jesus, I'm asking you to lift the burdens off the shoulders of the people in this room. God, for those that have come today, and Lord, they're burdened down with the cares of life, that the issues of life has come in, and God, I know that you want to change their heart. I know that you want to change their mind. I know that you want to change their perception. But God, today you're giving them a clear new direction to go in life, and you're going to pull the plow for them, God. And God, I just pray that they would keep their hand to the plow. And Lord, when they walk out of this place today, that they would walk out in a whole new lease on life. And God, they could walk out in freedom. Lord, that they would know that you're walking with them, that you're leading them, guiding them, and Lord, that your truth is there. Lord, that your encouragement is there. And God, help us to be as a church, the church you've intended us to be. Not a church which condemns, but a church which welcomes. Open arms to any and all that may come. Lord, bring the prostitute in. Lord, bring anyone in that is afflicted by the enemy. Allow them to be set free at Bethesda. In Jesus' name, amen.